0: Hi, my name is Mason Dukacek, and I'm the host of the Mason Dukacek Show. And I have with me today my guest, Hank Epstein from The Quality Coach, which is a consulting firm here in the St. Louis area. And he just always has um, ideas and perspectives that I find valuable, and I wanted to make sure that he got to share them with you. Um, I took a few notes. So we, we get together, what is it, maybe once a month or every other month for a breakfast, okay. and we share some ideas. And I usually come back with at least one, if not several notes I drop in my journal, and in this particular case, I was reviewing the journal prior to today's show, and I re- remember thinking back on a conversation we had a few months ago, and we were talking specifically about change and coaching people through change, and um, I I guess posed to you the uh, challenge or frustration that I see a lot of managers go through, frustration I see a lot of managers go through when it comes to implementing change. And a lot of them are like, look, this needs to happen to their team, and here's why, it's not a big deal, just go do it. Why is that not as easy as it seems?
1: Yeah, again, that's uh, another one of your big questions, Mason. And so I I need to drop back just a little bit, uh, and you keep me on track, but What's behind all of that stuff is this basic phenomenon. People think that human beings are stimulus-response organisms. In fact, we're not. What we are are stimulus-meaning-making response organisms. That's huge. And it's huge, it's huge. And of course, as a leader, a change that I'm trying to to implement or, or execute might look simple and fine to me, but to the people involved who have to change their behavior, change the tasks that they do, it might be totally different. It might look entirely different.
0: So uh, in other words, if I'm a team leader, and I say, hey, um, team, you just need to do this, right. go do it, and I don't think anything I think it's like it's not right. a big deal, Right. it isn't a big deal to me. Yes, but exactly. But it may, may very well be a big deal to them.
1: Yeah, and, and of course, if you're a masterful leader, you won't ever do that. You'll say, this is something that we've got to do, and then you'll start to ask them questions. What are some of the problems? What are some of the challenges that you see in our doing this, in our going from A to B? I'll give you a simple example, and then I'll give you an even bigger example, uh, like you know, monumental historical example. So the simple example is this. Uh, uh, one of my clients had uh, one of her ladies Uh, go out on maternity leave. So she was going to be gone for, I don't know, three or four months. And she asked another lady in her department who was the best worker in her department if she would take over this pregnant lady's machine while she was out on maternity leave. And totally unexpectedly this other lady, this star performer, who'd always been cooperative and wonderful, came at her with cuss words, including the F-bomb, you know, she was like flabbergasted. Fortunately, she was a cool customer. And, you know, as a matter of fact, she was involved in our coaching training when all of this happened. It was one of her stories that she shared. So she said, all right, look, just, you know, let's cool off. Tomorrow morning, come back. You and I need to talk, okay? The following day, she called the lady and she said, look, you know, I'm like totally surprised and amazed. You've never been like this. I mean, I count on you for everything, and I thought you knew that. What is going on? You know? And by the way, she could have taken the boss approach, couldn't she? She could have disciplined her for cussing her out and, you know, and put her on you know, two days off without pay. No, no, she didn't do that. And again, that's this wholehearted spirit that we've been talking about. So you know, she asked all of these questions to the lady. The lady looked at her and said, look, she said, you know, I know what's going on around here. You're trying to put me on a machine that I haven't worked on for a very long time. My productivity is going to be low. There's all kinds of rumors about layoffs, and you're just trying to make me look bad so you have an excuse to lay me off. Where did that come from? Right? Unbelievable. So let's talk big now. But it was
0: very believable to her, which was important thing because she's the one being asked to do the job.
1: She thought it was the truth. She's the one that's been listening to the rumors. The rumors had not been. You know, uh, uh, you know, blocked or, or addressed by the by the owner of the company. So she thought she was, you know, it was all true. Okay.
0: Now, one of the things we've talked about, and I'm, I don't know what generation this person was. It doesn't matter. But the point is, is you know, we've had discussions offline about how important it is to explain why to people. Where had the the supervisor going on maternity leave? Explained why, then that whole thing could have been prevented. Up the th- th- the magic word because. Yeah. Makes yeah, a big difference, potentially. But, but there also need—I would—I uh, would contend that that it's not enough just to explain why, but there also has to be a lot of trust there. You bet. Because if the trust isn't there, then it doesn't really matter it what the supervisor says. Doesn't matter. They don't believe that's it.
1: Exactly. That's and that's all. See, now you're really getting that's into a whole other big discussion That's a whole there. other conversation, maybe two or three shows, but that's really big and heavy. Now let's take this principle of stimulus, meaning-making response, to a universal level. Okay. I don't know about you, but I'm a, a big fan of Ken Burns. And I just finished watching his ten part, 18-hour documentary on the Vietnam War. And it was incredible. Uh, and, and of course, it's you know, in in these huge diplomatic circles, we have the same thing going on. So the United States, what were we doing? We were, you know, we shouldn't have even been involved because Ho Chi Minh came to President Woodrow Wilson after the end of World War I to try to get support for a free Vietnam. He came again to President Truman after World War II to try to get support for a free Vietnam. And of course, we didn't support him. So what did he do? He went to China and he went to, to Russia to get their support. And because he did that, he got branded as a communist. He was not a communist. He was just, when he declared independence after World War II, he quoted Thomas Jefferson. He quoted the Declaration of Independence. Okay? But all of a sudden he got branded a communist. And now we're dealing with the onslaught of communism. All he wanted was to get those foreigners the hell out of his country and have a free Vietnam without the French or the Belgians or the Americans mucking around with his people. That's all he wanted. And of course, where are they today? Are they a communist country? Not really. We're doing business with them. We're, you know, we're doing capitalism with them. So my, my point is that this, as you said, this issue of stimulus, meaning-making response is at the heart of almost everything. It's, almost, it's at the heart of almost all human behavior. And, and if leaders can understand that and become skilled at eliciting the meaning behind somebody's behavior that looks like crazy and stupid, to them, it's very logical. And once you see the meaning that's driving it, it becomes logical to you, even though you might not do it, but you can see the logic behind it. So
0: I guess in summary, you know, as a, to, leaders who see change as insignificant, like, look, this is no big deal, it may not be a big deal to them. Yes. But to the other people, based on the meaning they associate with it, it can be a very big deal, and it's a mistake for um, effective leaders or people who aspire to effective leadership to assume otherwise.
1: You bet. The fundamental sort of generic meaning that people put on change when it's you know, proposed to them or put on them is fear of loss, loss of status, loss of certainty, loss of control over their destiny, loss of their autonomy, uh, loss of connection with their uh, employee, you know, their coworkers. Sounds like
0: you're tep- tipping on some of a was it David uh, David, David Rock's David
1: Rock stuff. scarf model. The scarf model, exactly right.
0: And is and I guess the tip tip is it fair? Is it fair? So when they're right. So when I guess when employees. Are evaluating the meaning of something, it needs to be explained to them in the context of those things so that they understand that. You bet. If you want to hit on those again. Yeah, so.
1: Right, SCARF stands for status, um, uh, certainty, uh, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. Unconsciously, people don't know the SCARF model, but unconsciously, based on the research, you know, the, the, uh, the neurophysiological research, people are sort of automatically going through that kind of a checklist. How is this change going to affect my status? How is this change going to affect the control I feel I have over my destiny? How is it going to change my autonomy? How is it going to change my connection with my boss and my, you know, and my coworkers? And do I feel like it's fair? Like that,
0: yes. Well, Hank, thank you for taking on a, a very relevant and important topic. Um, I appreciate your thoughts and insights, and I hope uh, the members of our audience appreciate it as much as I do. Thanks for coming on today.
1: My pleasure, as always, Mason. Delight to be with you.